Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's our goal here to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Today's topic, we'll be talking about mold remediation. I had the opportunity to interview Michael Rubino, who is founder of Home Cleanse. We discussed the technical and business aspects of mold removal and where it fits into addressing and solving mold problems in a home or building. Michael's a forward thinker, having created his own mold remediation school for employees. At the school, they utilize the concept of I do, we do, you do. That is, you must be able to execute like the company's experts in order to graduate to doing field or customer work. Michael's also authored a book called The Mold Medic, the expert's guide on mold removal, and he's a council certified mold remediator by the IICRC and ACAC and a contributing member, sponsor, and speaker for the IAQA, that is the Indoor Air Quality Association. One of the interesting parts of the story is learning how Michael grew up in the construction industry and remediation industry and how this influenced his current work. You'll find some links to Michael's book and his LinkedIn and his website in the show notes. Hope you enjoy this episode where we speak with Michael Rubino of Home Cleanse about an insider's view on mold restoration. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good, Bill. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. So you reached out, wanted to get on the show, get in front of our listeners, talk about a couple things. And you've got, seems like a really rapidly accelerating career. And why don't you give us some background? How did you get involved with or create Mold Medic? I wrote a book called The Mold Medic, an expert's guide on mold removal back in, and published it in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. But really, my career and history goes further beyond that. I've been around construction and restoration pretty much my entire life. My dad has been a restoration contractor since I'm a child. Before that, he was a master electrician. So homes and buildings, something that I grew up around. What happened was, because I live in the New York area, and that's where I grew up, and we had Hurricane Sandy, and that just devastated homes. And I started to notice this pattern of people getting sick from these water-damaged buildings thereafter, which got me really interested in this field of microbiology and understanding how microbiological contaminants really can wreak havoc on someone's immune system. And from that point on, I really took an interest in helping to design and implement and fix and restore buildings in a much better way than we typically were looking at it from an insurance perspective. Okay. So did you take any courses or is it just more on-the-job learning? or? Well, both. I would say on-the-job learning has probably been the most impactful experience. It always is, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because in my field in restoration, you take these three-day classes and you continue on every couple of years and you retake these classes and these refreshers. They're so helpful for sure to get started, but it really takes the experience learning in the field. I'm sure any technician listening to this will tell you, you learn through your mistakes in the field. And for me, it's pretty simple because we have testing apparatuses to be able to really test if we did what we were supposed to do and did we accomplish that, which made it very easy for a lot of trial and error practices in that field. But I have the CMRS certification, which is the highest certification you can get in microbial remediation. And it requires 10 years plus experience. And it was really going after this health perspective in that industry that really helped me propel my career. 
Okay. You mentioned a couple of things I want to explore. The process of remediation and then also the testing, like you said, that proves you got there, you did the job. Right. Can you break it down into talking about the process a little bit, a typical one? Yeah. So for example, maybe this room that I'm sitting in right now, this has severe water damage, right? I would need to be setting up a containment at the door, setting up an air scrubber to create negative pressure in this room, removing any building materials that were impacted, removing by cleaning mold or bacteria that might be present. And then you get in a third-party consultant in to come and test the space in an unbiased manner to make sure that everything that you can't see, because we're talking about microbiological particles here at that point, are properly removed. And sometimes they're not, and you have to go back and clean again. But that's kind of where that fail-safe happens, where you have that third-party data to really understand if you went thorough enough or deep enough and addressed the problem. You don't do the third-party testing course because you're one of the parties there. (laughs) But what is that testing? Like, what do they do just in general? Like, have you observed one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's air testing. So they're utilizing pumps in these cassettes and they're pulling air in. And these cassettes are designed to trap tiny particles like a mold spore, which can be between two and four microns. And you're looking at how much mold is present in the air at that moment, especially if you've removed the building materials and you've removed the source of the problem. Shouldn't really be much there at all. They also do like surface testing where they're taking almost like what looks like a Q-tip they're collecting a sample of the surfaces that were properly cleaned to really make sure that the roots of what's there has been gone. There's also been a lot of developments in technology. The EPA helped utilize PCR technology to bring forth what's called their environmental moldiness index. The index itself is not so great. and happy to dive into that, but the technology is fantastic because you're really looking at the DNA of what's there. Did you really remove enough of those particles that have been created in that environment? And that has been a really profound measure of looking at a success for how clean is this place now? Got it. Have you ever heard of the Healthy Building Summit? Yes, I have. Yeah. I went there a couple of years, Joe and Cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Up in Pennsylvania. That's where I am on your Pittsburgh. And you're located where? I'm in Tampa, Florida. Right now, Tampa. What's the market like for the work you do there? Well, I would say the market is pretty hot because it's a high humid area where if anyone knows about mold or bacteria, I mean, 60% relative humidity or more is all it takes. So when it's typically 80 to 90% humidity all the time, you have a lot of engineering controls that are needed to control that environment so you don't have a problem. And unfortunately, not a lot of people are aware of that. It sounds like you were doing the work and then you had time around there, COVID, maybe you had time, but you composed and you wrote the book and you issued it in 2020. What's happened since then? Has that been any pivot point for your business, your career? I would say some of the things that have happened since then, and I wouldn't necessarily say I attribute it all to the book, but in writing that book and helping people, it's been instrumental in really getting the information out there and educating the consumer base that I service. Because I think if they're not educated on how important air quality is, they're not going to see the value in making an investment in fixing their homes or improving their workplaces, et cetera. So I think education has been a major factor in success in the business that I've built. So you wrote the book. Where is it available, by the way? We can put a link to it. Yeah, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, you name it. Okay. Speaking of Target, who would you say the target of the book is? Is it consumers, practitioners? It's mostly consumers, I would say. Practitioners have read it as well and have enjoyed it. It's utilized it as a tool to educate some of their patients and some of the issues that they're experiencing. I think 
it's a wealth of information. How do you look at this problem of having a water damaged building and how that might impact my health? And then what do I do about it? Because there's so much conflicting information out there and trying to put it all together and make the right investments is no easy task. It's interesting because I'm involved a lot in the building performance side, home energy efficiency and HVAC. And there's lots of conflicting info about both of those topic areas. And some of it's just like lacking in the building science. Good friend of mine, Nate Adams, actually wrote a book to cover that, the home comfort book. So from a different aspect, but it's in a similar way to provide some uniform information for consumers to work from. It's really fascinating because when Richard Nixon era, right, we started pushing more towards energy efficiency. It's a good call. Great for the environment. What we need to do now is with the information we've learned is start to adapt that same mindset with energy efficiency, but also pay attention to the health of the occupants inside the home as another primary consideration. Because I think that if we start to marry the two, we'll come up with much better solutions than we currently have. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Joe Stebrick up in Massachusetts who talks about just how basically shelters made to keep water out, keep it under control and all the layers you have to do. And that's really what you're referring to is the water come in and start to make this inviting environment with humidity and actual dampness to cause substances to form. When you talk about containment, walk me through a little bit of detail in there. Like what does containment mean? Containment is really a fancy word for saying six millimeter plastic. And you're essentially, what you're doing, the whole goal of containment is you want to be able to create a smaller space inside a building or inside a home so that when you're setting up like an air scrubber or a negative air machine, you're controlling the airflow. Because if you have too big a space and not enough CFMs, what ends up happening is you don't create this negative pressure. And why is that so important? Because you're going to be removing stuff that's going to release potentially millions of particles into the air at that time. And you want to make sure that those millions of particles are not traveling all across the building or the home, potentially making a problem worse. And so it's utilizing plastic zip poles or other means of holding the plastic in place and a negative air machine to really control that airflow. And a negative air machine, is that got filters in it to trap? It does. It has HEPA filters in it to trap it, but you also, you need to vent it outside. And when you vent it outside, or outside the space, what you're doing is you're essentially pulling everything towards that machine. So when you open up a wall in the room where that machine's located and it's vented outside and it's not bringing up any makeup air, now you're sucking out that negative pressure so that wall you're opening is not sending particles across the entire space or into the entire building, et cetera. Sure. And then in that process, what about protecting the workers that are in that space? What's involved with that? We use PAPRs, which is definitely overkill, but for us, it's safety and health is really important to us and our company. But essentially, you need to have a respirator. You need to have something that's going to filter out these tiny particles so that as you're doing all this work, you're not going to be breathing it all in. You need to wear a Tyvek suit so that you're, this stuff's not getting all over your clothes and then you're bringing it home to your family. And you want to protect yourself with gloves because dermal exposure to bacteria or mold is a real thing. So you want to try to protect your skin. And typically the Tyvek suits will have boots so you can protect your whole foot there. And the respirator that even go over your eyes and things like that, your nose, of course. Yeah. So you want at least a half face respirator when you're dealing with the demolition part. And then we use a full face respirator 
when you're dealing with any sort of chemical treatment. We use botanical products, but you still want to wear a full face respirator because when you're spraying something, you don't want to get that stuff in your eyes. So in the process of removal of materials, is that just like deconstruction or remodeling or is there like any care or tools or what do you do with the materials you remove? You're essentially going to bag them up and discard them. But yeah, you want to work like a gentleman and cut a neat section out of the wall, depending on where the path of water traveled. You're looking to isolate and figure out how far that water came and you're trying to open up that whole area. You're going to be removing insulation, but if it's on an exterior wall, you want to remove the insulation behind it. That's porous as well. And you're going to expose the structure and then you're going to clean the structure, whether it's cement or wood. You want to remove any mold or bacteria that might be in that cement or in that wood. Got it. And do you ever leave it open to further dry out or how does that work? Does it ever happen? Yeah, you definitely want a dehumidifier on site to make sure it's fully dry. I typically leave it open for at least 24 hours, make sure we're figuring out where the leak is coming in from. If it's a subgrade space, you want to see where that water might be intruding above ground. You might want to wait for a good rain and see where that water might be coming in. If it's not abundantly obvious, I think that's always really important because where a lot of people make mistakes in this industry is they think they got it all, they put it all back, and then the next time it rains, you got the same problem all over again. So you might actually have to get in there and do, or do you call in a subcontractor for contracting work to actually fix perhaps leakage paths? Yeah. So I won't do any structural work. So if there's an exterior wall and there's termite damage and it's rotted and clearly water was getting in around the top of the siding or something, we're going to call in a general contractor then to make those repairs. And then we're doing a water test to make sure those repairs are performed properly so that, again, we're not getting additional water intrusion before we call the job fully remediated. Got it. I'm a test and measurement nerd. Just wondering if you use any moisture meters or thermal imagers to detect moisture paths or moisture evaporation. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, that's usually done by the third-party consultant before we even get there. So they'll do a full inspection with thermal imaging, moisture meters. They'll do all this moisture mapping and tell us, cut from here to here. And it's not a perfect science, of course. Sometimes you cut from there to there and you still got to go another foot or two. Things are revealed. (laughs) Yeah, right. But it gives you a good parameter so you can at least develop a reasonable scope of work for the client and operate off of that. Cool. How about the time involved? I know it's going to vary depending upon the amount of damage and the size of the structure, but what's your typical time? I would say the average project size that I work on is somewhere between two and four weeks. It can be much shorter can be much longer. I've worked on projects that have taken six months. So it really depends on the size of the problem. We had a building in California that was leaking all throughout the exterior walls. So it was a pretty big job and the house was extremely large, probably somewhere in the realm of 10,000 square feet. It's a pretty big job to fix all the crawl spaces, the basement, all the exterior walls, even the attic was leaking. And so that was a six month project. But It really depends on what's happening. Very small closet leaking from a vent stack pipe, that's going to be a day. So it all depends on that. But when you're looking to do things thoroughly in this regard, and you're really looking to clean up not only the source, but the byproducts as well, it's going to take longer than your typical insurance tear out. That's the perception I'm getting when you use words like work like a gentleman thoroughly you're able to describe this process in great detail, which I think my listeners are interested in. That's what I really wanted to dig into. So 
flipping over to the business perspective, you said you did a building in California and you're based out of Tampa. Do you work all over? I do. So I have an office in LA, I have an office in Tampa, and I have an office in New Jersey right outside of New York City. We're licensed in the seven states that require licensing. And the other 43 states do not require any licensing, just requires insurance. And so we do travel all over. We operate out of those three hubs and we travel wherever we're needed. I look at myself as a specialist, really an air quality renovation specialist, if you will. And so we're not really dealing with insurance claims. We're dealing with people that suspect they have health issues due to air quality issues. We're making sure we get the right data of their environment. A lot of these people, it's the correlation between their health issues and how bad the places are air quality wise is pretty astounding. And so we're focused more on being a health centric company that looks at improving air quality for people that really see the value in that. And that's our focus. Got it. How does somebody engage you, get in touch with you? You could go to homecleanse.com or the michaelrubino.com, either one and find me. I also am pretty active on Instagram and LinkedIn. So if you search Michael Rubino on LinkedIn, or I think it's at the Michael Rubino on Instagram, you'll be able to find me. So what do you post on Instagram? <laughs> Mainly just correlated stuff between health and indoor air quality. All right. You don't post jobs or anything like that? Sometimes, but not all the time. I try to give people privacy and sure in the projects I'm working in. That's good. Goes back to the gentlemanly. Sounds like you were raised well, Michael. <laughs> My parents would love to hear you say that. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a clip of this part of the podcast. We'll send it to him. And you can send it to him. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So it sounds like it's a generational business. Your dad was doing this construction, restoration before the electrical. So you had the idea, the vibe of working with consumers to help solve their problems and address their needs. Have you taken off and made this your own business? Yeah. So I used to work for my dad. Now he works for me, ironically enough. But yeah, he had this company that it was always pretty small in the New York City area. His main focus was actually fire restoration. So there was a lot of issues, obviously, with different particles and odors and VOCs and different things that happened with heavy metals and all the kind of crazy stuff with fires that, well, also firemen put out buildings with water, right? So there's always typically some mold and bacteria issues that kind of grow into the mix. But I think as he got older, was looking at retirement, he no longer had to deal that with the stress of owning a company. And I guess I'm the young buck here that now has to deal with all the stress. He loves the vision and is, loves how I've taken this a little further than he has. And no, we're having a great time helping people and coming up with different crazy strategies to do that. I got the website. Yeah, homecleanse.com. Good. So that'll go in the show notes. I want to make sure people hear that. Homecleanse, C-L-E-A-N-S-E.com. Okay. You said you're a specialist. Do you have a crew or a team or how does that work? So I got seven crews and different crews in different regions, obviously. If we don't have a hub close by, we're typically traveling a team in. So for example, I think we're doing a project in Colorado coming up where we're taking actually our Florida team there because they're going to be in Texas the week before. So that's not too bad to go from Texas to Colorado. We have seven different crews. We built a school actually in one of our warehouses in New Jersey, where we actually built a house inside this warehouse. And it's got three different attic styles. It's got a bathroom, it's got a kitchen, and we're training our guys on how to build containment, how to set up engineering controls. We have this philosophy at our company. It's 
I do, we do, you do. So I do it first. You take a look. You see how it's done. Then we do it together. And then you do it. And if you can't do it by the time you get to that part, until you can do it, you can't go in the field. And so you don't pass the stage. You don't pass and you're not in the field because obviously we want to take the safety of our clients very seriously. And we want to make sure that everybody is perfect. But building this facility was a blast and being able to train people that way has been really remarkable. This is a recurrent theme with, I'll call it better and more successful contractors, are building schools. And some of them even build schools that they teach their local competition because then it makes the higher level of work more normal for consumers. So that even though they're bidding against somebody, it's like, well, they hear a similar story and it's not like you're the outlier because you're doing something at that higher level. So that's very interesting. I'm starting to pick up on these characteristics. No, it's a great and genius move, I think. And honestly, we're furthering the whole industry when we do stuff like that. I mean, if it's really part of your value proposition for your business and your customers, it's hard not to do that. And I keep on seeing more and more of that. The basic schools aren't doing enough. And a visionary like yourself has an idea and they want to execute it. Congratulations on coming up with doing that. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Again, mostly building performance, HVAC contractors, probably heard of services like you, many have probably used them, but just something to kind of encapsulate our conversation here. Well, I would love to talk about like a little PSA for the HVAC industry. Yeah, I think HVACs are the lungs of the home and it has a major impact on the air that we breathe inside these buildings and homes because obviously it draws air in conditions and supplies it back out. I think a lot of people don't realize that mold and bacteria, they're tiny. Toxins are tiny. And they pass through a lot of these MERV rating filters, getting to the coil. We all know the coil constantly condensates. It's wet. It's got a whole pan underneath it for that exact fact to drain that water away. And water is the life source that allows mold and bacteria to thrive. And even though it's metal, and we think mold doesn't grow on metal, it will because there's going to be dust there for it to feed off of. So while it can't plant its roots into the metal, it certainly can plant its roots on top of the metal and feed off of the dust that continues to accumulate. I would say that better filtration is needed to have better health for the occupants in these homes and buildings. And so if you're an HVAC guy, study up on getting the best filtration systems you can get and make sure you're telling clients the importance of that because that really makes a difference. A lot of the talk lately is about ventilation in HVAC, which then involves the bringing in fresh air, but you bring in fresh air, you also bring in the mold, the pollens, the molds are out there. And And potential condensation, right? Yeah, right, inside the system. And one thing I thought I have in my head, and I just want to check it against you, it's like you're never going to get rid of spores, molds, things like that. They're just going to be there. They're in the natural environment. You just have to prevent creating conditions where they flourish. That's the key. Yeah. If you go outside right now and take a breath, you're probably going to breathe in about a thousand mold spores, if I had to guess. And so we don't want to be afraid of mold in this general sense. But when it starts growing inside the home, it can go from a thousand to a hundred thousand or a million pretty quickly. And too much of anything will kill you. I think we've all heard that. Yeah. And this is definitely the case of that. If there's too much that they're breathing in, it's going to stress their immune system because then they have to remove it from their body the way our body removes all the stuff through our organs and things of that nature. So 
I think it's just, we want to be able to control it. Dehumidification systems, good filtration on HVACs. And by the way, general housekeeping. So if you go to someone's house and it's dusty and looks like it hasn't been cleaned in a while, yeah, you want to advise the client that what's in our dust makes its way into our body. If you've ever sat near a couch on a sunny day and you saw that ray of light peek through and how much dust is in our air, it's crazy. And our dust isn't just dead hair and skin cells. It's also mold. It's also bacteria. It's toxins. It's all these things. So good housekeeping is really important and giving people good filtration systems that trap this dust and not spread it around the house is really key too. Good advice. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for reaching out and getting in touch with us. We'll have this published here shortly, the podcast, and we'll include some show notes with some links in case people want to get further in touch with you. But again, it was a pleasure today, Michael. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Make sure you tell your parents I said you're a good guy. I will. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Other great trade-related resources and influencers include the HVACR School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, HomeDiagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, and MeasureQuick. I also host the ResTalk podcast, that's R-E-S-T-A-L-K, we can learn more about the rapidly expanding world of home energy ratings and peripheral topics. After listening, if you like what you heard today and not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of any typical podcast app. I want to thank you again for listening to the Building HVAC Science podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Michael Rubino talking about mold restoration. Until next time, take care. <laughs>